0: It's the Skinny Podcast,
1: only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly pre edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist center with Rick Roaring. We look at sports topics of local interest, occasionally a national topic or two. We have a well, we've, we have a brief gambling segment. It's gotten briefer because of college football and a segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. Just go each week to hashtag AskSkinnyAnything on Twitter. Uh, as always, this podcast presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. Rick is on the road in Pullman, Washington, as we're doing this podcast after he called the NKU Washington State game on Wednesday night. So I appreciate his adjustment and we will get through this podcast together. Of course, it's been a busy week where UC has got a new football coach, the Bengals coming off the Chiefs win. We talked about that on Sunday on our Bengals post-game podcast. But of course, this week they take on the Cleveland Browns. So we got lots to get to, Rick. So let's get to it.
0: Uh, it's and it's Crosstown Shootout Week, Skitty. I mean, this yes, is that's right. That's I'm right. gonna say this is you know
1: what? It's lost some luster just because UC is not very good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, Doc, relax. Let's get in the podcast <laughs> before we start talking about luster being lost here. But I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say it. This is gonna be a top six podcast we've ever recorded. That's really? Not, I would go top five, but we haven't recorded it yet. So, okay, good point. That's the only reason I'm not saying all right. Uh, news broke early Monday morning that Cincinnati was hiring Louisville's head coach. Scott Satterfield to be their new head football coach. He was introduced at a press conference later in the day, and it came out that he agreed to a six-year $22.5 million deal, basically an average of $3.65 million per year. Then it was reported on Wednesday morning that Louisville was hiring Purdue coach Jeff Brom to a six-year $35 million deal, an average of about $5.83 million per year, to replace Satterfield. So Skinny, first of all, Give me your thoughts when you first heard the news that Cincinnati was hiring Scott Satterfield Monday morning, which seemingly came out of nowhere.
1: Well, you can't hear that. I'm, I'm kind of like shrugging my shoulders a little bit like Neh. it, it, <laughs> it didn't move the needle negative or positive uh, for me. Um, you know, I, I will give the positives of this. If you're a UC fan, the positives are, are the following. Um, he's a power five head coach. Um he does have a winning record as a Power Five head coach, not by much, by just a game 25 and 24 at Louisville. Built some good things, did some really good things at, at Appalachian State before that, so I can't discount that factor. Um he had a great recruiting class that he was going to hopefully coach this year at Louisville, but obviously not. And they've had some decommitments. Now the negatives to all this are he was about to get fired at Louisville if he hadn't turned things around this year. Um I think Louisville was probably doing backflips that UC took him. They paid for his buyout, and then they were able to go get the guy that they probably should have hired four years ago anyway um, in Jeff Braum and didn't, and and now they've kind of got their guy, and I'm sure they're doing backflips over that. Um, for the UC faction of it, I know as a fan you can point and go, yeah, but look, he's a great recruiter. Look at this class. I'd argue that probably has more to do with Louisville NIL money, and, and I think that's going to be a real problem at Cincinnati. I just do moving forward. So like I said, it, it is a Power 5 head coach, um, but it didn't do much to move my needle. How about you?
0: I mean, were you just surprised by by the name? I mean, we didn't hear that name, or no one was really looking in that direction the entire week leading up to the announcement that they had hired him.
1: Yeah, and I guess give give John Cunningham credit for keeping everything close to the vest. He's done a he's done that now in his last two major hires. Can I um, can I ask you something though? Is
0: that really that big of a deal? Is it really that good of a thing? I mean, people always talk know. about how impressive it is when a AD keeps it close to oh, the vest, but a, does that know. really matter?
1: I don't know if it's impressive. I just, it just, it just is what it is. I mean, that's why you never heard the name. Right. Um, Listen for the, for the candidates that were talked about last week, the Buffalo coach, the Kent state coach, um, no offense to Gino Gadulli, the offensive coordinator with no head coaching experience. You did land a power five head coach.
0: Right. Well, I mean, that's, that's where I start with it. It's not exciting. It's not inspiring in terms of a hire, but I think I like it better than the Mac guys that were the other options. Apparently Sean Lewis of Kent state Mo. linguist of Buffalo and Satterfield were the three candidates to get in-person interviews. According to Justin Williams of the athletic, he did a really good piece on the the whole process leading up to this with, with quotes from John Cunningham. And basically those were the guys. So, I mean, if it was down to a guy who has barely won at Kent state, um, a guy at Buffalo who's done some nice things, Or the guy at Louisville, who, like you said, was basically about to get fired. But let's, let's be frank about it. Louisville didn't fire Scott Satterfield this year because they didn't want to look like they were in more dysfunction and disrepair in their athletics department than they already are. You've got the Kenny Payne dumpster fire on your hands right right now on the basketball side of things. You just finally got your punishment handed down from the NCAA, from the IARP hearings. You're just trying to get this thing on stable footing for a couple of years and moving in the right direction. After Scott Satterfield won five of the last seven games down the stretch with Louisville's football team, they weren't going to fire him. But no, 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 no. Had that but, but, not happened, they yeah. were going to. I mean, they yes. wanted to fire him.
1: Yes, correct. When they were when they were two and three after the Syracuse loss, it felt like it was just a matter of a couple of weeks until they pulled the trigger, and he turned them around. Um, you know, and and credit for that, I guess. But I, I, I think what you're going to, I think that the UC job has become exceedingly hard because of NIL. I, I do.
0: Well, and the jump up to the Big Twelve in in theory is a great thing. But for this first head coach that's taking over, and not only do you have to replace Luke Fickle, but you also have to lead the transition from the AAC to the Big 12 while you're at a disadvantage in terms of NIL money. That's not going to be an easy situation to walk into long term. I don't know that Cincinnati has become a bad job or a difficult job, but right now. It certainly wasn't an easy job to walk into to be the next guy after Luke Fickle and the guy that leads them into the Big 12. That's that is a difficult ask. I think you just found a guy in Scott Satterfield who, quite frankly, he didn't get the uh, extension that he thought he was going to be given after this year. They just said, hey, we'll keep you, but barely. You better get this thing back on track and rolling in the right direction because we don't like the way this thing is going. And I think he basically was like, well, if that's the case and all the fans right now are calling for me to be fired and I've kind of lost them, I need to get out of here and look elsewhere. So I guess that's what I come back to is what were the other options? Was it really just Sean Lewis of Kent State and Mo Linguist of Buffalo? I understand that those guys were the finalists, but did that mean John Cunningham went through a list of guys already and there were other high major coaches that had turned him down? And here's what I really want to know, and here's what it might come down to for me of whether this was a good hire, or a good process or not. Was Deion Sanders really an option? Did you, did you have a chance at Dion, and you just didn't pursue him because you were scared of who Dion is, or? Was Dion never interested in Cincinnati and he's always going to Colorado?
1: Right. Because that's, that's going to be fascinating to watch itself play out over the next three or four years. Does Dion really get the job done at Colorado? And then, strangely enough, Dion takes the Kent State coach to be his offensive coordinator.
0: Well, so that's the thing. Initially, you're thinking, I don't know about this Dion Sanders thing, man. Is it, you know, is this real or is this going to be a problem at the high major level where there's more scrutiny? But now that he's come out and he is hired, the The head coach from Kent State that UC and other programs were seriously considering hiring as their head coach. He hired him as his offensive coordinator. Right. And then he goes out and he hires Mike freaking Zimmer. Yep. As his defensive coordinator. Skinny,
1: I think Deion Sanders knows what the hell he's doing and is, is running this thing the right way. And I believe poached a coach off Alabama staff, if I'm not mistaken. The the, the thing you worry
0: about with a guy like Dion is that he thinks he's reinventing football and is the smartest guy in the room. And he's clearly not that he's bringing in guys that are more accomplished, more experienced, more ready to take over a, a high major program than he is to be his right and left-hand men. I, I think smart. this Deion thing is going to work
1: out. That, and that's smart. And, and, and the thing that he's got going for him is he's taken over from ground zero, a program that is absolutely bottomed out. Um, I think that's kind of the, the, and maybe for him looking at Cincinnati, he was thinking, Listen, I, I this guy's done a great job. I mean, I, if I go in there and go eight and four, they're going to think I'm a failure. I'd rather start from scratch. And, and plus, again, I go back to, you know, it's a major state university that's probably got more nil money behind it. I, I think, I think that's one thing moving forward, man. You got to look at a lot of this stuff a lot of times, and, and it, I think it's just going to be such a big factor. And I think you're going to see the big factor come through the transfer portal with that stuff too.
0: Oh, there's no question, and I think Dion's going to be really good at that. I, I mean, too. they've they've already talked about how many kids are are contacting him through the transfer portal, and basically what he did is he went in, and of course everything is filmed with Dion because he does his barstool stuff, and his son basically runs a YouTube account that he makes a bunch of money off of, just filming inside the locker room stuff with Dion and his brother Shadir, the quarterback at Jackson State, who's now probably going to be the quarterback at Colorado. And Dion walked right into the room with those Colorado kids, and he said, "Look, we're coming." We're changing things. I'm bringing players with me. I'm going to hit the transfer portal hard as well. If you're not good enough, get the hell out. Get in the transfer portal. See ya. We don't need you here. We don't want you here. And that's the way it is. I've got to make this thing better. We've got to turn it around. And a lot of people took pause with that. But all the kids who heard it and all the kids who are from other schools and heard it seem to love it because apparently he's gotten all types of calls in the transfer portal since he was for kids who are entering the transfer portal since he's been hired. So you know, I don't want to make this whole thing about Deion Sanders, but a lot of the, how the Scott Satterfield hire is viewed is going to be viewed through the same prism as how is Deion Sanders doing? And was that a realistic option for UC? Basically, who said no on Deion right. Sanders? Was it Deion Sanders telling them no? Or was it John Cunningham saying, uh, oh, that's not for me. I don't like Deion Sanders. He's too flashy, He's too much in the public eye. I don't, I don't want to get involved with that because if it's the latter, you're going to have, and I don't know if we'll ever truly find out, but you're going to have some UC fans that are upset in the future, I think, when they see what Dion does with Colorado. So, uh, yeah,
1: and to, and to wrap this up real quick, and I, I go back to the question that you asked, was the pool of candidates just not that strong? I think it, it, it wasn't because the last two Power Five jobs that have been filled are Colorado with Deion Sanders and UC with Scott Satterfield. I mean, there just weren't a lot of Power Five head coaches who are success stories that were in the running for this job. Most of them were either satisfied with where they were at um, or you weren't going after them anyway.
0: The fact that he and his staff haven't really recruited Cincinnati, despite being pretty close in Louisville. I mean, we've seen what Kentucky has done recruiting Cincinnati and the state of Ohio in general. Obviously, Luke Fickle brought UC's program back by doing that exact thing. Is that a concern for you, with Scott Satterfield taking over that he hasn't really recruited Cincinnati?
1: Yes, because the other part, too, is Kentucky's going to come back into Cincinnati and Ohio and recruit it even harder and probably better because they're going to say, listen, when this cat was down the road in Louisville, we owned him. I mean, you can come here and play in the SEC for us, or you can go to a guy who we owned.
0: Yeah, I think my concern is did he ignore this area or did he just, was he not able to land guys? Either one is very point. good. Yeah. But if he ignored the area, the issue you're going to run into is coaches resent that. This area is very, uh, I don't know what the right word for it is, but they they want to be acknowledged. They want to feel important. They want to, you know, they want to be involved. They'll recognize they remember they're loyal. A lot of the coaches stay around here and they they may bounce around to different high schools in the area, but they are the same guys for the most part. And it's a a pretty tight knit group and fraternity. If you ignore them and you basically say, we don't need to recruit that area. You're going to have a hard time breaking back in here or just because you became the the head coach at Cincinnati.
1: Yeah. The only, the only, or I'll give you to that though, is or you felt like, listen, in the pecking order of recruiting in the area, it's going to go Ohio State, UC, Kentucky. Um, do we want to waste our time being maybe a fourth a lot of times and really not having a chance to get kids? Doesn't mean yeah. you don't have some relationship with these guys that you just aren't going to have a chance to get them.
0: Well, that's the exact question, right? Did you have the relationships and you just weren't landing the top kids? So you ended up not taking as many kids or were you just saying oh, we don't want to waste our time? So we're not even going to go up and look at their kids because guess what? There are kids they wanted you to look at, even if it wasn't their top kids who were going to land at your school. They still yeah, had other I, I, kids that they wanted you to come see at least and build that relationship with. Again, you didn't have to take them, but if you ignored the area completely, it could end up being a problem long-term. And I'm not saying they did. Maybe maybe Scott Satterfield is great with Cincinnati coaches, and he just wasn't able to land the guys that he wanted to land while he was at Louisville, and that'll change at UC. I don't I don't know. Either yeah, I, way, I think, that would be a little bit of a concern for me.
1: Yeah, I, I think, though, you can build that relationship as the coach at Cincinnati. I think it's more troublesome if you're the coach at Cincinnati like Tommy Tuberville was, and you ignored the area. Yeah. As long as you are the coach of Cincinnati and, and go make those relationships now. I, I think that's the important part.
0: Yeah. I mean, his staff, they recruited a lot of Georgia, a lot of Florida. They recruited in the Carolinas a lot. It's like, can you get those guys into UC now that you're in the big 12? Because that hasn't really been the recipe for success for this program so far. It's not recruiting the South and recruiting the SEC territories. It's more been owning Cincinnati, And then dipping into some of the other regional Midwestern states for the most part. But maybe that changes as you go into the Big 12. Maybe that changes with the new staff. And I'm definitely interested to see, are the connections that they've shown, they being Scott Satterfield staff, have shown recently in Texas, are they real? Or is that just all Adidas NIL related stuff? Right. I fear fear it's the latter. Me too. But, I mean, if you have some legit connections in Texas… You go into the Big 12, it's a whole lot easier to recruit Texas. I mean, granted, you know, Texas itself is is obviously leaving for the SEC, but it's still Big 12 territory in theory. So, I mean, that that'll be interesting to see how how that falls. And, and also is his staff has done a lot of good work in the transfer portal the last few years as they've tried to kind of keep that Louisville program go. I mean, it, I don't think Louisville has been an easy job since he's been there. And they've done a decent job of keeping it stable. And I think a lot of that has been their ability to to bring players in through the transfer portal and and through recruiting to to keep it going. So um, I think they're definitely going to have to do that as they move into the Big 12. They're going to have to upgrade their roster in some spots. So I am interested to see what they can do with that. And the other, there's one more thing here that I am kind of interested to see about. They've had a quarterback the last few years in Malik Cunningham who is an athletic, dynamic, dual-threat guy.
1: Could they turn Evan Prater into something um, if he stays? Sure. I, I, I would say this. I, I would hope. I would I, I withhold judgment on that.
0: Fair enough. Uh, and, and finally, Skinny, I guess, I mean, how well did this work out for Louisville? Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> they wanted Brown in 2018, but he turned them down, so they hired Satterfield. Then, the, yeah, then Louisville and- wanted to fire Satterfield this year, but like we talked about, didn't because they were worried about the instability it would create in the athletics department. So instead, Cincinnati takes them off their hands and pays them to do it so they right. can afford Jeff Brahms' buyout, plus have $2.5 left over after that. And they get the guy that they've wanted since 2018 all along that turned them down.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you, that was served up on a silver platter for Louisville. I
0: mean, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that in terms of it. I, Louis, I, I listened to about two and a half hours of Louisville call radio the other day, and Louisville fans were calling in saying, it's Christmas come early. <laughs> I mean, they, I they mean, couldn't get enough of this. They were correct. so excited about it correct. happening.
1: Yeah, no, it worked out perfectly.
0: All right. Obviously, we've got the Crosstown shootout. We've got the Bengals game to get to. We, we are going to get to those in a second. Normally, they would lead off a, a podcast on, on any normal year, but uh, you have a coaching change in the area. You kind of got to talk about that first. And while we're on the topic of college football, let's wrap it up here. The college football playoff is set, and normally I would ask you whether or not you agreed with the teams, but the way it all played out, Skinny, I'm not sure there was really much of an argument to be made. the The playoff pairings are number 1 seed georgia against number 4 seed ohio state and number 2 seed michigan against number 3 seed tcu uh, was there any argument to be made here at all even with seeding in your opinion
1: um no i you know listen i i if you put alabama on a neutral field with tcu they're clearly a double digit favorite but i but but i also have to look at resume and you know if you want to put common opponent up against each other, Texas is common opponent. Bama had to really struggle to win that game. TCU didn't win it handily, but they won it by a touchdown. Um, so that that's the common opponent I've got between the two. And and so I think TCU – I told some people when the when the pairings came out, we, I actually was in the press box um, early on Sunday to get the story up when, when it moved. Um, I said, if, if as they were doing it, they were doing one, two, and when it, when it came to three, I said, if you see Ohio State three, Alabama will be four. And I think for them, it was more TCU played an extra game. We're not going to ding them for the extra game. Ohio State didn't, but we are moving them ahead of USC because they now have one more loss than, than Ohio State does. Bama has one more loss than Ohio State and TCU did. So I think th- that was the only movement. So no, it didn't surprise. In fact, I thought this is exactly how it was going to play out after the the weekend of games.
0: Yeah. And I mean, after USC loses twice to that Utah team, right, there's really no way you can make it lost argument. in ugly fashion the
1: second time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. To keep them to keep them in the, the college football playoff at that point is just it doesn't really make any sense at all. The TCU thing I thought was fair because it's like if you're ahead of Ohio State going into that championship game and you lose in overtime to a team you'd already beaten once in a championship game, then yeah, I don't think you should be docked for that. I think it's you were already ahead of them going into that. head. you not even played that game like Ohio State didn't have to play a championship game, you would have still been ahead of Ohio State in theory. So I have no issues with how they did it. I think that was really the only option. Plus, let's, let's face it, from a fan standpoint, we don't need Michigan-Ohio State again in the, the first round of the college football playoff. If they meet in the championship- so be it. That'll be a great storyline. But it was just, I, it was going to take away from the whole thing. You have a meeting again in the first round. It didn't. You didn't need it. Um, which is the better game, Georgia OSU or Michigan TCU?
1: Uh, Georgia OSU to me. I mean, I, I. It fascinates me, especially coming off of LSU throwing for five hundred yards against them. That that's what fascinates me. You know with Ohio State's passing game, that would be a little troublesome. And, and I'll be honest with you, and the way Will Levis slung it around in the second half when they finally cut him loose would be a little troublesome me. I'm, I'm Georgia. That would scare me a little bit.
0: Well, and its I know people are going to hate me for saying this. and call me like an OSU homer, either I'm far from it. But I don't think Michigan or TCU has a chance to beat Georgia, but I think Ohio State does. And that may sound silly, given that Ohio State has lost to Michigan. But realistically, I don't think you're going to beat Georgia if you can't go out and put, you know, 30 to 40 points on them with your offense and just outscore them. And Ohio State, to me, is the only team with the chance to do that.
1: And I think it's very difficult to run on them. on a, And that's the that's the bread and Michigan butter recipe for, yeah. for Michigan. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, the one thing about Georgia is they do feel right for an upset in terms of storyline. I mean, they won it last year. They have the lesser talent at quarterback. I mean, Stetson Bennett.
1: Oh, he's pretty he, good. I think he's pretty good.
0: He's been very good. I mean, he's had a tremendous career. But if we're looking at it, honestly, in terms of, like, talents, he is, at best, the third-best quarterback playing in, in the college football playoff.
1: Uh, you put him behind the kid from TCU?
0: Yeah, I think I would, Max Dugan.
1: Yeah, he's a battler. I'll give him that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I just think I think it's he's the third-best talent. And, I mean, you might even put the kid from Michigan ahead of him long-term. Right now, you definitely wouldn't. But long-term, he's just a sophomore. Um, You know, a couple years, you might. So, I don't know. I think... Georgia is clearly the best team. They should be the heavy favorite. But if you're if you're looking for the, the storyline, it would feel like this is this is the chance for them to get upset. Um, one other thing on the college football front, skinny Heisman finalists were named. They are USC's Caleb Williams, Ohio State's CJ Stroud, TCU's Max Dugan and Georgia's Stetson Bennett. Who do you like? Who was snubbed in your opinion?
1: I don't know if anybody was snubbed. I, I, honestly, I like Dugan just because of what he did for that team. I mean, he had to do it as a runner and as a thrower and, and was a battler. And I, I I feel bad because I think C.J. Stroud has had a great season, but then I look at the weapons around him. Um, same for Stetson Bennett. And Caleb Williams um, probably statistically is better than any of them, but crap the bed when it mattered. And so I, if, I, if I had my vote, I'd probably vote for Max Dugan just because of – just what he meant to that team. And and
0: that's the thing. It's this award has really become kind of unfun and boring to me. This would feel like the year where it maybe shouldn't be a quarterback who wins the award. Like it, at this point, if you're giving it to Caleb Williams or CJ Stroud, it feels like they're winning by default. I mean, both of them didn't play their best football down the stretch. Uh, both of them in the big moments kind of were just, eh, okay. I mean, they, they put up great numbers. They're very talented guys, but I just, it, it, I kind of missed the days of there being like a dominant running back, you know, maybe one defensive player in the mix. I mean, now it's just which quarterback put up the best stats every year. And, and, and in this year, I mean, I kind of feel like it's, it's Caleb Williams might have given the award back to CJ Stroud by default with the way he played, uh, in, in the Pac 12 championship game. But I'm with you. If, if they want to go and give it to Max Dugan, I have no issue with that. To me, he's he's had a, a a more interesting season, if nothing else.
1: Yeah, I mean, who was he before the year started? And look what he did with that team, and look what that team did with him. I don't know. I mean, are are you with me though? I mean, like, do you care about the Heisman much at all at this no, point? He, no, no, not not no. I do not. The, the Heisman's like any other, like Academy Awards or any of that stuff. To me, it's just another. And especially now, you got the Maxwell and the Butkus and the Nagursky and the Fred Johnson and the Jimmy Smith. I mean, there's a trophy for every position group. Pretty soon, we're gonna have a trophy for the slot receiver, the greatest slot receiver of all time. We'll call it the 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 the, the Sky Moore Trophy, whatever. I mean, it's it, it, give them all a medal.
0: I love it. All right, Skinny. Let's switch gears here. It's Crosstown Shootout Week. The Musketeers and Bearcats will face off at Fifth Third Arena, 3 p.m. on Saturday. Ken Palm has Xavier as a two-point favorite. Currently, no Vegas lines out on the game. Sign me yet. up
1: for that line, brother.
0: Yeah, I thought you might say that. Uh,
1: let me start here.
0: Does Cincinnati have to win this game to have a chance at earning an at-large bid to the NCAA oh, tournament?
1: Clearly. I mean, not even debatable. Because, I mean, you're just not going to have a chance inside the league to get any other than Houston. And I'm sorry, you're not beating Houston.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think in theory, if you, if you go and you like, win on the road at houston and maybe you win a road game at at memphis and i don't know who else has a chance to be that's my top 75 maybe ucf or something like like sure maybe like there's you know there's probably one or two other teams that have a chance to be a top 75 road game but the problem is you would then have to win every big game inside league play and most of them on the road I, i don't think that's going to happen for uc so yeah i mean it feels like they don't win this, and their chances of an at large bid are pretty much gone. So, finish this sentence for me, Skinny. Xavier won the crosstown shootout because blank. It's better. <laughs> Cincinnati won the crosstown shootout because.
1: Uh, Jack Nungie went one for thirteen again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
1: I, I just I think Xavier Xavier's been tested more. They've they've. Listen, we talked about it last week. They've, they've got three really good losses, and yes, I do understand those are losses, and that's where they go in the column. Um, but those three losses did as much for me to say, and I think we said it last week in the podcast. I think I said it to make me believe this is a Xavier team that is going to be maybe a second-weekend NCAA tournament team. I, I really believe that they have an opportunity to do that, and um, the fact of the way they came back to beat West Virginia, I think, showed that. it's They're good. And maybe that- it's, maybe it's just the addition of Sule Boom has just done done that for them. It's, it's given them that one guy that that's just put them over the top a little bit when they've got other, all those other parts that we like and and feel good about. And then there's this guy and he's doing some special things for you and that's put you over the top.
0: Well, to that point, I think Sule Boom has been much better than expected. He's done everything that they thought he was going to do and everything that they said he was going to do when they brought him into the transfer portal and then some. And the then some that's been really important to me has been late game situations. Colby Jones is now no longer the only guy out there that you're thinking, God, you really need Colby to step up and take over in this this moment right now. Sule Boom has been that guy for them. He wants the ball. He wants to take big shots. He can actually shoot from the outside and create his own shot a little bit. And the best thing that he does is he is great at drawing fouls. And you know how that is. In those late game situations, maybe you're down by four, or maybe you're up by four, whatever. You have the ball, and it's a couple minutes left on the clock. It's so valuable to have a guy that can put his head down, get into somebody's body, and get to the free throw line for a one and one And not you don't have to run a great possession to get a clean look for somebody for a shot that they may or not make. You can just draw a foul, get to the free throw line, and let a 78% free throw shooter put two more points on the board for you. He's been great at that. So I think Sule Boom really has helped put them over the top. And yeah, I I mean, I I agree with you that I think Xavier should be the heavy favorite going in. And I think that the West Virginia win really helped solidify a lot of what we were talking about last week with those those losses to Indiana, Gonzaga, Duke, where they played well. And you're saying, I I like what I see. A lot of things seem to be moving in the right direction. But at some point, you got to win a game against good competition. And they did that against West Virginia. And not only did they beat a good team, but they they did it in impressive fashion where they were down double digits. They were down by multiple possessions late into the second half. And then they really turned it on. They found a way to get defensive stops when they needed them most. And they they just completely shut West Virginia down in the final five plus minutes of that game. That was good to see because that's where they've really struggled. They haven't been able to get key stops, especially against the better teams that they've played. So I think that West Virginia win kind of said, okay, this stuff that you're seeing, it's legit. They they are playing pretty good basketball right now. They are capable of getting over the hump and winning a game against a good team. I want to do another thing with you, Skinny, here. I'm going to run down the starters, the matchups, because I think these two teams, the way the starters play out, I mean, you may have Sule Boom matched to David Julius and Adam Kunkel and Micah Adams-Woods. But aside from that, I think you're going to be matched up one to one at the positions with all these guys. So I'm going to give you the matchup and you're going to tell me which team you think has the advantage. Okay. Yep. Mike Adams, woods or Sule boom. Sule boom. David Julius or Adam Kunkel. Uh,
1: I'm going to call that a draw. Can I call it a draw? I would
0: lean to Julius. I think.
1: Different I mean, roles. do you think Adam Kunkel think- could
0: be the leading scorer for either one of these teams?
1: I think he's been the leading scorer for Xavier in a game this year, is he not? Well, in
0: one game, but like for the for over the course of the first eight games, do you think Adam Kunkel could, could carry that load for either team?
1: Um, I think he'd be in the conversation at UC because I think he'd get more opportunities to do that.
0: Yeah, I think he'd be in the conversation, but I do not think he would be UC's leading. I would I would lean to David DeJulius here, but if you want to say draw, you can say draw. Uh Landers Nolly or Colby Jones.
1: I'll go Colby Jones, but Landers Nollie has got so much ability. We've seen him flash it at times this year, um, but I've also seen him get two points against Ohio State, um, you know, seven points in the NKU game. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look back, was the was the Arizona game an outlier or is that really what the guy can do on occasion? Um, so I'm going to lean to Kobe Jones because of more consistency, but Landers Nolly in this one, I got two wild cards for, for UC in this one we'll get to. He's one of them. He's the one guy that would have the opportunity to, to – to go for 26 and be the guy you go. That's why you see pulled off the upset.
0: Yeah, he he definitely has that ability and he scares you if he's on the the scouting report. You, you circle him more than anyone else because he he's an ISO scorer that like you can do everything right. And if he's feeling it, you might not be able to take him away because he's just really good at going and getting his own shot. And when he's feeling it from the outside, especially, he he can get hot in a hurry and really pile up the point. So he would worry me, but Colby Jones is clearly the more complete player and this has like a negative connotation if you say it this way, but Colby Jones to me is just more of a winner. He does a lot of different things that impact your team and helps you win, even if he's not scoring. Landers Nolly to me has been a guy that's like kind of off in his own world. Like he's playing in a vacuum. It doesn't really matter what's going on with your team. He doesn't He doesn't look for anyone like in terms of creating plays or making them better. Uh, he's not a great rebounder or defender. He's kind of just like if he's hitting and scoring that night, he can carry your entire team. But if he's not... Does he really help you a whole lot? I'm not so sure. So that's that's why I would go Colby Jones instead of Landers. Nolly, um, then at the forward position, you have Jeremiah Davenport or Zach Fremantle.
1: That's a weird one because they're just such different players.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, and both of them could completely combust and be almost useless in this game, or both of them could right. be really good. I mean, yeah, just, right. they're inconsistent players. Do you, do you have a pick on this one or no?
1: I, I don't just because they're just completely different players. I would go Fremantle this
0: year because... Davenport is struggling so much from a shooting perspective. He's shooting 32% from the field, period, and worse than that from three. So I, I would go Fremantle from that perspective. And then finally, Victor Locken or Jack Nungy?
1: Uh Jack Nungey. The, the thing about Victor Locken is when he's played against the 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 Bryants and the NGITs and the Chaminades and the Cleveland States and even the Northerns, he owns the backboard. But against Louisville, he had four rebounds. Against Ohio State, he had four rebounds. Against Arizona, he had five rebounds. They need him to do more against big guys that that match up with him size-wise. He's got a lot of ability, in my opinion, but he also gets a lot of foul trouble, and they need him on the floor.
0: I would also remind you that uh game against NKU he he did end up with like I don't know what 8 or 9 rebounds but he also was out rebounded by his counterpart Chris Brandon, who he was going up. Oh, against, good point.
1: So. No, good point. Yeah. yeah. Good point. I mean he got
0: he got his butt kicked quite honestly in that NKU game. He was a big reason why why they lost. So yeah, I'm not I'm not a big Victor Locking guy quite honestly for the exact reason that you just pointed out. I think when he plays against anyone who's more athletic than him, more physical and stronger than him, he he really come, sometimes struggles to beat them one-on-one and defensively, I think he's pretty bad. So I was going to
1: say, I think they would go right at him on the offensive end if he if he guards Nunji or if he guards Fremantle in the post. I think they go right at him.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can go at him in the post and then he's also terrible in ball screen coverages right. too. So, I mean, you just keep putting him in ball screens and, and UC doesn't really seem to adjust to that well. And then the, the other thing that they do constantly that I, I don't really understand is they put on that three-quarters court press. I hate it. It's they the, they I, don't force any turnovers out of it. And then they leave him alone on an island to get ducked in right underneath the rim and give up an easy entry pass because they're trying to get back from their, their prep. I mean, like they go up so many post buckets because of their press and they have no help for Victor Lockin down there on an island one-on-one against an opposing big man that, uh, yeah, I think that's going to make it really tough against Xavier, especially with the way Xavier force feeds the post early in possession. So, um, skinny you, you said you have uh, a couple of like X-factor guys or guys well, to watch out for that could swing the game. You, you mentioned Laners Nolly. Who else do you got?
1: Yeah, and I, and I don't know if this was an outlier game or if this is just a guy getting more college reps under his belt, but the game Dan Skillings had against Bryant to go for 14 and 13 in yep. 22 minutes, is that scratching the surface? Was that opponent-based? That's the one for me because really UC doesn't have a lot of firepower off the bench, and could he now start to emerge as that guy?
0: I totally agree with you, and I don't think that's that's like a flash in the pan. I think Daniel Skilling is going to be really good. I think he has NBA potential, especially on the offensive side. He's like a six, 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 seven wing, right. yep. and he plays like more of a two or a three than he does a, a three or a four. So he's he he trends more to the guard skill side of things than he does being an unskilled, you know, undersized forward or something yeah, like I mean, that. He made
1: three. He made three of six threes in the Bryant game. I mean, again, it's, yeah, he, I, I gotta go opponent based a little bit, but at the same time, I go. Okay, was that also a confidence boost for you, guy?
0: Well, and he's shown other flashes, too. I mean, his shooting percentages aren't good and a very limited sample size, but he's shown the ability to create his own shot, to beat a guy one-on-one, and he just has the aggressive nature on offense that looks like, you know, he wants the ball in his hands. He wants to to go out and get his points. So I agree with you. I think he's a guy to watch out for now. That's a freshman in the Crosstown shootout, and and typically we don't look to freshmen to be the guys that stand out in this type of game. But – UC doesn't have a lot of options in terms of firepower. So when I look to who's a guy that could stand out for them and, and maybe push them over the top, it, the, the first names I go to is Dan Skillings and Josh Reed, the two freshman wings off of the bench.
1: Yeah. And, and Josh Reed is, I I think his was more of a, okay. Opponent based. I need to see more. I think the nolly factor just because of that game against Arizona, it did become kind of a glorified pickup game in the second half. Right. I mean, it was just back and forth and quick possessions Arizona wasn't very interested in playing defense as that thing progressed they'd gotten their lead big enough and they were beating UC's press for dunks and so UC was coming back down and making shots but a guy did pour in 33 against a high-level opponent
0: that game I can't, I
1: can't discount that
0: that game in the second half specifically would scare me as an opponent getting ready to play UC more than anything else just because it doesn't make any sense like you, no, you watch that right. half and they look like just an offensive juggernaut and they're doing it to Arizona it was well coached
1: sandwiched around those games was a 51 point game at NKU and 53 the next night in, the, in Maui after the Arizona game, 53 against Ohio State. So was that a complete outlier or is that what Didn't they're even, capable of if Nolly goes off? I had just watched them score 11 points right. in the second half of that
0: NKU I, game in person. I, like It made no sense to see them pour in shots the way that they did in the second half of that Arizona game. But I mean, you watch it back on film. If you're an opposing team, getting ready for this game, you go, damn, these dudes can score. So uh, yeah I mean that that would definitely be my biggest concern coming in the game is that they, they are capable of a half like that potentially and and yeah maybe you want to say look they were never even in that Arizona game it's not like that was a, a hotly contested second half where the teams were going back and forth and trading shots like in a in a game that mattered Arizona was in control and said, sure but they still made the shots they still went in and, and Landers Nolly I think is a type of guy that's capable of of repeating that performance potentially so we'll see how that goes but Skinny, a couple more questions here. Who is most likely to get a technical foul in this game?
1: Zach Fremantle.
0: I'd say I'm i predicting a double technical on Victor Locken and Zach Fremantle that for a bunch sounds- of nothingness other than they're just two goofballs who will.
1: Yep, just, just tangling in the post. And, yep. and yeah, uh, um, two two hotheads. Yeah, that, that that feels right. That's a good point. I'll go with the double tech too.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any type of like serious altercations or fights or anything like that. But just like, I mean, like guys Get pointing into each other's faces or saying something stupid or flexing or something silly. And then finally, skinny, give me your pick for this game. Let's say I'm guessing the Vegas line is going to be a little bit more than that Ken pump line. I would, I'm thinking it's going to be at three, give or take ha- a half a point. So do you want to say was, two I was and a half? Say
1: five. I was going to say five. All right,
0: let's say th- you want to say three and a half then or four.
1: Sure. All right, That's let's
0: we'll split the difference between Ken Palm and and your guesstimate so we'll go with uh four who do you like
1: uh I'll go Xavier 77 65.
0: all right any 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 additional thoughts to add to that or are you just uh no I, no
1: that 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 just that feels like the right score to me I just UC's been just against good opponents just so blah, other than a half against Arizona on offense and look Xavier scored on Gonzaga uh Xavier scored on Indiana and they, they they almost pull off a win over Duke, despite Nunji and Fremantle crapping the bed and making two buckets and 20 shots between them. That feels more outlier to me than anything else. Um, So they have they even scored in that game 60-some-odd points with those two guys not doing anything. So to me, I think Xavier's getting in the 70s. I just don't know if UC's got the firepower to do that against a good opponent. And I know that what they did against Arizona, but that feels like such a, like I said, that second half looked like it was a a, a glorified AAU game with no coaching.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go... Eighty-four, seventy-three, Xavier. And I can almost guarantee you that that will be well over whatever the total yeah. is in this game. Yeah. So I, I I, can definitely tell you I'm going to like the over in this game. That's always a scary thing when you're talking about the Crosstown shootout because they could just as well come out for the cer- first six minutes and nobody scores right. Uh, right? with this game because everyone's all juiced up and it's a packed building and all that. But the way these two teams play, I, I'm going to like the over in this game going. I can tell you without even knowing what it is. So I'm, I'm going 84, 84- 73 Xavier in this year's Crosstown shootout. Any final thoughts, Skinny? Can we move on to the Bengals? Let's move on to the Bengals. All right. They did beat Kansas City 27-24 on Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. It marked their third win over the Chiefs in the last calendar year. You and I did a full recap on that game Sunday night, and you can find that podcast on the same feed you found this one on. Cincinnati will host the Browns on Sunday at 1 p.m. Skinny, I got a, a few different Bengals questions here for you, and we'll start with Joe Burrow, the way he's played, I just looked it up this morning. DraftKings currently has Joe Burrow with the third best odds to win the NFL MVP award at plus 600. That's behind Patrick Mahomes at plus 125 and Jalen Hurts at plus 175. Is it worth it? Is that worth considering, in your opinion, Joe Burrow at plus 600 as an MVP candidate?
1: Yeah, I think Jalen Hurts probably will win it if he continues on the path he's gone on, just because of what he's done both as a runner and a passer, and what Philadelphia has done as a team. I do think if you were going to give me his odds versus just Mahomes, I think I'd take Joe Burrow just because he's got the wins over, he's got the win over Mahomes, and and um, just the way he has played. I, you know, if you if you take out, I did a story last week, I guess, um, just how he's played since the Cleveland last Cleveland game. I mean, he's completing seventy-two percent of his passes. His passer rating's like one sixteen. I mean, the numbers are just absurd. How great he's been during this four-game uh, winning streak, and you know, it's not just that. I mean, he's he's also been a big part of other wins this year for this team. I, I do like the odds because I, I the, there is the possibility, the possibility. I don't think it's going to happen. That that they run the table, and if they do, that means he's going to beat along the way Tampa Bay on the road. That's going to matter. Um. Buffalo and Josh Allen, that's going to matter, and then yep. Baltimore, that's going to matter. So if they do those things, then I I I think he is the MVP. And so if you are going to give me those odds now, I think I'd take it. I actually have a small wager on Joe Burrow. Um, I think I got him at twelve to one, maybe fifteen to one. I have to go back and look, but it's a decent it's a decent price that I got Joe Burrow at for MVP. I didn't put much on it, but I've got it. When did you get him? Uh, it was like week three or four, I guess.
0: Yeah, so that, that's what I was just going to say. That I I actually think. Burrow does have a chance to win the award. It's not a, a good chance, but he has a chance, a legit chance. And it's for I the reasons I do too. And, but Burrow's path is what you just laid out. He has multiple marquee games left on the schedule. He already has the Bengals rolling. If he leads them on a crazy run down the stretch where they either run the table or maybe even just lose one more game. But, but you beat Josh Allen in Cincinnati where everyone's watching and, and everyone's paying attention to that game. It, it's a, it's a marquee matchup. That is a big opportunity right there. That I think would would go a long way towards it. So I think there is a chance, but if you were going to do this, you should have done it three or so weeks ago because he was ten to one or better right. in most places. Some place right. had him it has as high as like twelve to one or fifteen to one, six to one. I never love futures odds unless you're getting really high odds. Six to one is about where I would start to draw that line probably be, and make it no longer worth it to me. So I might consider it still. Cause I think there's a chance it could happen, but I, I really would have rather had it a few weeks ago when you yeah. got him at 10 to one or longer.
1: Yeah. And, and the thing is uh, he has to go on a roll and Jalen hurts has to kind of crap the bed here down the stretch a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm not sure that both of those things are very right. likely to right. happen. Right. Uh, you might be able to get one of them. The, the one that actually is more interesting to me. And I'm curious what you think about this. Zach Taylor is currently 80 to one to win coach of the year.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I I just I think it's going to go to Sirianni or, or McDaniel. It, it it usually does that. I mean, because Zach, it's
0: more of a most improved award. Yeah, it always yeah. feels
1: that way. I mean, look. Um,
0: but man, that, if, he, if he if he leads the, I mean, granted, I it's not going to no, factor I, in the Super you. Bowl. But you think if he does it again and they has him at like an 11, 11 wins this year or something? Right. I mean, maybe tough to overlook. Yeah, eighty to one's worth a five
1: five spot. Probably yeah, eighty eighty
0: to one is crazy. I, I mean, you would think he would at least be in the top like. Five or six candidates here. He's not even
1: close. Yeah, I think a lot of times though, when you're coming off of a Super Bowl, you better go fifteen and one or or sixteen and one or fifteen and two, whatever, um, to get get an award like that. I, I, it's it, it, it's just hard to do. It's, It's usually guy stepping in like a McDaniel and going, Oh, look what he's done with Miami in year one and Nick Sirianni and the ridiculous things that Philly's doing. I, I think those are your two guys.
0: Yeah, that, that's the issue is there there's two candidates that seem so obvious this year from the most improved turnaround perspective that usually is the uh sort of standard honest, narrative to win this award.
1: Kevin o, Kevin O'Connell of 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 uh of Minnesota's in that conversation too. Yeah, he's
0: up there. He was I think he was third or fourth. Yeah. Uh, Zach Taylor this week, skinny said Joe Mixon will still be the starter now that he's back from a concussion, despite the strong play of Samaj AP Ryan in his absence. Do you agree with that call?
1: I do. And, and it's funny. So that's the story I'm actually writing today um, uh, of the fact that you may see a little bit more balance at running back. It, it, you know, we, we also talked to Brian Callahan on Wednesday. Um, uh, we usually get the coordinators off to the side. A couple different days of the week, and I asked Brian. I said, "Is there is there any value to not having them maybe fully share the load, but but take a little load off of Joe's plate, give it to Samaje because he's probably earned it?" And he agreed. He said, "Yeah, I, I, we we can probably try to make that work. Um, you know, we have we'd have two fresh running backs down the stretch." But he did say the same thing. He echoed, "Joe's our our number one. Joe's our starter, and, and he's right. I mean, let's look. Samaje's done great things, and that's a great thing." But the last full game Joe Mixon played, let us remind ourselves, he went for over 200 yards of total offense and scored <laughs> five touchdowns. Let's yeah. not forget that. We can't toss that aside and just go, I, I know we love the way Samaje plays, and he and he's a, a, feels like he's a more physical runner than Joe, and we certainly know he's a better pass blocker than Joe, and he certainly showed against Pittsburgh catching three touchdowns. I mean, he showed he can be a complete back, but Joe Mixon's our number one guy. And I do think what this is going to allow them to do, though, is to – it's not maybe a, a full number one, number two. It's more of a number one and a one, a one B ish type of role Where Can you get some Ajay eight to 10 touches instead of just be the third down back and get two to three touches and be a blocker? I think you can.
0: Yeah. And that's what I would hope we would see. Like let's be honest too around the NFL. That's pretty typical nowadays. A lot of teams will kind of platoon running backs back Zayton, there. Tony Pollard. Yeah, I mean, you may have more of a featured guy that's your number one, but a lot of teams will mix it up and, and use multiple backs. And at this point, the way Samaje Ryans played, I, I think you have to do that. You, you can't just ignore him and leave him out, especially because of what he's done in all aspects of the game, it, it, the pass blocking to go with it, the pass catching to go with it. It'd be one thing if it was just, OK, yeah, he's pounding between the tackles for three and four yards of pop. That's nice. But we want Joe Mixon back out there to make some plays for it. It's like, well, Samaje Ryans made some plays now, too, and and he's doing everything at a pretty high level. So he deserves to be on the field some, but it doesn't mean he takes away the starting spot.
1: Yeah, I I think the other thing, and Brian made made, made mention of this too, is is they've been more efficient in the run game. And when you're more efficient, and some of that's tied to they found runs they like, um, the way the offensive line's playing, when you are more efficient in the run game, there are going to be more chances to run the football. It's not going to be games where Joe Mixon gets 10 carries and Joe Burrow scrambles twice, and that's your rushing attack for the day, 12 carries. I mean, you may now get into games of approaching – 28 30 32 rushing attempts and you can't have those all be joe mixon you want to have him fresh could that be 18 18 joe mixon's eight samaj P. Rines, and three joe burrows to get you to 30 carries along though and one jet sweep to trent taylor get tackled for a three-yard loss i mean could you have those those <laughs> things to get you to 30 right and i think you can i think you can make it work for everybody i think you
0: could too uh skinny are the Browns a bad matchup for the Bengals, or is it a fluke that they're 1-6 against them in Zach Taylor's career as head coach and have lost the last
1: five against Cleveland? Yeah, I think there's a little aspect to that, and 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 um, I didn't ask the question, but the question was asked before I could ask it. It was asked the way I was going to ask it, um, and the answer is correct. I mean, a lot of this has been self-induced. Um, some of it was Baker Mayfield. For whatever reason, Baker Mayfield had this team's number. Now, I will tell you, this is a crazy stat. If Deshaun Watson leads the Browns to a win, it'll be it'll be a fourth different quarterback in as many games that has beaten the Bengals for the Browns. Deshaun Watson would be the fourth. Earlier this year, Jacoby Brissett. Week 18 last season, Case Keenum, and before that, Baker Mayfield. That's the thing that stuns me more than anything. I agree with the self and you know, self-inflicted issues the Bengals had. Um, you know, a tip ball by Miles Garrett that led to an interception on that drive on Monday night, kind of sent him to to a death. and Joe getting sacked from behind and and having the ball knocked away kind of led to the death spiral of that game. So some of it is self-induced, but it is weird that it would be four different quarterbacks. At that point, you just go, for whatever reason, that team's got our number, and I can't, and that's the thing, it's hard to put a finger on it other than pointing to some self-induced things and pointing to the fact that when you look at Baker Mayfield's numbers, for whatever reason, against the Bengals, he's great.
0: Didn't they have some weird goofy backup quarterback that beat them back in like 2019 too. Mm. That like made his first start ever. I want to say. No, that I, was,
1: no, I think that was a game. The Bengal. That's when Kevin Hogan started. Oh, uh,
0: uh, Okay. Maybe I'm misremembering that, that that's little, really good, one. Day one?
1: Yeah, they won. Yeah. But he actually had a really good first half. I think he, yes. that, was, that, that might've been the AJ green hail Mary. No, that might've been 18, but whatever. Yeah. I think it was Kevin Hogan. You're thinking of.
0: Okay. I think that is what I'm thinking of. All right. Thanks for clearing that up. Uh, You know, the other part about this matchup that Joe Burrow pointed to when someone said, is there, you know, is there something difficult about this matchup for you or whatever? He goes, and they have Miles Garrett. That's that's something different about them. That's a pretty good point. I mean, you face good pass rushes all the time, but Miles Garrett very well may be the most dominant one that you face. And if you look at ESPN's uh, pass block win rate for for pass rushers, Miles Garrett is at the top of that list and he's been that way for each of the last two seasons. So, uh maybe that is part of it. Maybe they just really have a difficult time accounting for him and it it rushes everything or, or throws them off a little bit in terms of their timing offensively. So, uh I don't know. We will see, but uh we'll, we'll we'll actually get to that right now in terms of our pick. So, let's get into our our betting segment. Last week I went 2 and 0. We the only pick was the Bengals game and skinny, I had the game dead on the number, 27-24. Was exactly what I picked. So uh I, I was two and o. you were one and one. You had the over, but you also had the Bengals winning outright. So I am now 49, 45, and one. You are 44 50, and one. And uh, my
1: best and my best bet hit last week. Kansas I State was on the money
0: line. I was just going to say that your best bet was Kansas State plus three and a half. They won by three in overtime. So you won that. My best bet was Bucks minus four, and they won 17 to 16. So that bet lost, even though the Bucks did pull off the win. And our only game of the week is, we, we we did give you the Xavier game too during our basketball yes, segment, but our, yes, but our only actual pick-em game of the week for football season is Browns at Bengals. Bengals are a six-point favorite. The total is 47. What say you?
1: Yeah, I thought Deshaun Watson looked like crap, and I don't <laughs> expect one week's worth of game reps under his belt is going to, to make him have a huge step forward this week. So I think he still is going to play with rust. Um, The Texans literally gave them three special teams or defensive touchdowns. Listen, I know Joe Burrow threw a pick six against these guys last year at the goal line. um, And that kind of turned the tide of that game really quickly, really early. Um, But I, I I think the conversation on Monday we had with, with Jesse Bates was interesting. It was a victory Monday uh, where players get the day off and, and, all of them showed up the facility to get some workout in, get some work in, start to look at some film. So if you're thinking of a letdown off the Kansas City game, I don't see that. And I do think that there is something to them wanting to knock this peg of the losing streak to the Browns off. I think this team is extremely focused in that regard. It's playing great. And so I'm going to go Bengals 30, Brown 17.
0: All right. So we are very close on this number. You went 30, 17. So that, well, do you want to change that because you just pushed on the total? of? 47. Yeah, I don't
1: want to push on the total. Uh, give me 30 to 18. The Browns have to go for too late just because <laughs> they want to make it a crazy game. So 30 to 18.
0: Okay, so 30 to 18. So you are on the Bengals and the over there. And uh, I'm at 28-17. So Bengals and the under for me. The Bengals, uh, in terms of overs, unders, they've gone 4-7-1. and one. So that's four overs, seven unders, and one push. The Browns are the exact opposite. They are seven overs, four unders, one push. But both teams have had two straight games go under for the last two. So I am going to uh, stay on that Bengals under train that has been pretty good to me here recently. And finally, Skinny, we'll get into some Ask Skinny Anything. Might be slightly abbreviated because I got to catch a plane or a bus (laughs) to go get on a plane here in a few minutes. Uh, But we'll start with what is the worst refereed game you've ever seen, Skinny?
1: The worst refereed game I've ever seen, man. Oh man, that's a that's a good one for me. I, honestly, off the top of my head, I can't I can't think of one. Specific yeah, that's tough. It's think. like
0: just to just just recall it off the top of your head. I mean, there's a lot of bad calls out there, but in terms of overall games that were the worst or most lopsided, that's tough to recall.
1: Yeah, sorry for that one. If one pops in my head, I will I will relate that story next week, and it probably will pop in my head as I'm driving at some point and go, I oh, were that game. Well, yeah, that game sucked.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I've got to ask that question because you never know with your beautiful mind and the way it works, you might have like a a high school Beachwood freshman game off the top of your head that you were just going to rip a local official and it would be been a great for everyone. So I got to ask, you know,
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate Uh, it.
0: What quarterback wide receiver combo are you taking out of this group? Burrow and Curtis. Kenny Anderson and Chase. Boomer and AJ Green. Dalton and Ocho Cinco. Palmer and Pickens or Blake and Parrish little mix and match there with Bengals arrows.
1: Well, Lamar was a cornerback, so I, I think the Blake the Parrish combo wouldn't wouldn't work so good. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, didn't even, I didn't even look at that. Good point. That's okay though. That's okay. I'm a big Lamar Parish fan. Don't, don't I've I've made that known on this podcast. Who also, asked that he, question? He, 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 he probably could have been a great wide receiver because he. I think he still he ranks fifth in NFL history in in uh, in non offensive touchdowns. That's how yeah, returns. Was. yeah returns. Yeah returns. I'm sure that's what yeah. they were talking about. Yeah. Um. Man, that's a good one. Run them through me again.
0: It was Burrow and Curtis. Yep. Kenny Anderson and Chase. Yep. Boomer and AJ Green. Okay. Dalton and Ocho Cinco.
1: I'm going Kenny and Chase.
0: Yeah, that that was the one that jumped out to me.
1: Yeah, that because Kenny's a Hall of Famer should be and Jamar's going to be.
0: Yeah. It to me it was more it was more about I mean you've got the quarterbacks are pretty close I think when you're talking about Burrow, Kenny, Boomer. And even if you put Carson Palmer with the right guy, I could maybe be swayed into picking him with the right receiver. It was, I think it was more going to be about the receivers and uh, Chase is to me, the scariest of that group.
1: Yeah, by far.
0: Uh, All right. In the spirit of the crosstown shootout, skinny, what's your skyline order? Well, we've only answered this 75 times, but why not?
1: I'm a, I'm a three cheese conies with, with onion and mustard guy.
0: All right. Yeah. Basically do the, I will say it's funny.
1: It's funny though. I, I don't ever get, um, the spaghetti in, in, in that at, at sky, I've got frozen skyline dinners in the, in the, uh, in the freezer at home. So if I want that, I usually just have that. But, but for me, if I'm getting skyline at skyline, it's three cheese cones with onion and mustard and a Mountain Dew.
0: Same. And I love a three way, but I don't, don't, I don't get them at skyline. I usually, well, I use the frozen ones. Yeah. The
1: frozen. Yeah. They're, they're great. They heat up perfectly in seven minutes. I mean, you got yourself a great homemade skyline taste at home.
0: I do the three conies like you with everything or occasionally I'll do like one Coney and a Cholito or two coneys in a Cholito.
1: Yeah, I, I should do that more too because I make Cholitos at home sometimes. Yeah, they're, they're delicious. They are. I mean, they're,
0: it's crazy what price you're paying for how simple of a meal it is, but it's that good. It's like, <laughs> it well, I'm still going to do it. Um, what is Skinny's favorite Mexican spot in Cincinnati?
1: Um, That's a good question too because it's funny. No, none, of, none of our friends and none of the in my family likes Mexican food but me. Really? Well, Man, he, that's our like, go to like, like last night we had Cadoba. I don't consider that Mexican. No, you know. no, neither. Do I uh, yeah. Um, uh, I will tell you, I can't think of the place that used to be right by Turfway. It's not there anymore. Was that what was that place? Tumbleweed.
0: Uh, yeah, there was a Tumbleweed, yeah, tumbleweed out weed. by. Turf yeah, way. I,
1: lo- I love Tumbleweed. Um, Chewy's is good. It's it's chain. I realize that. So like yeah. I said, I just Chewy's is chance.
0: way up there for me, too.
1: Yeah, I just don't get a chance to go to Mexican restaurants enough. And I love Mexican food.
0: Rio Grande in Newport is my go-to.
1: Yeah, I know everybody talks about it. I've never been. I'm, I may have to just go by myself sometime.
0: And if I'm being honest, like, I'm, I'm more of a, I guess, Tex-Mex guy or whatever. Yeah, than I, I like kind of am too. I don't need, like, your street tacos with the weird kind of hard, small t- corn tortillas. I don't want that. I yeah, and
1: see, that's the thing. Like, like agave and rye I could throw at you, but I don't consider it Mexican because it's just tacos. And I know they are, but...
0: Yeah, well, and they're putting like fried chicken and mac and cheese right. in the tacos yes, and stuff. Right. I mean, it's not... Yeah. I, yeah, I actually, when I go there, I do usually just get like ground beef, The their plainest taco, so because so it tastes I. the most like the, the no, actual so taco. The and it's very thing. good, but yeah, I'm with you. I don't think of it as Mexican either. So I, I don't know that I'm an authentic Mexican guy, but I love all the, the local... Te- I like the spots where you go in, you pay... $10, or whatever it is. And they just give you a giant plate of crap on it. I like, exactly. don't know what I'm, all it is, but it's just a bunch way. of food. Yep. It's good. I, and you get like chips the, and queso like and you call the it combo
1: platter. the combo platter.
0: Yeah. Margarita chips and queso. And then just a bunch of stuff.
1: Yep. And you walk out of there about 16 pounds too heavy, but it's pretty That's good. That's right.
0: Uh, and finally, skinny, we'll wrap up with this one. what's your favorite airport in the United States?
1: Mm, 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 mm. I like Charlotte. Charlotte's just comfortable. It's big, but I I like Charlotte a lot. Charlotte's pretty good. Um, I'll say you misled me. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any others.
0: You told me I was not going to like Minneapolis. I thought it was great. Did you really? Did you have a long walk? We did have a long walk, but we had a a layover, so it didn't really bother me. It actually felt kind of good to get up and, and stretch a little bit. And then, I mean, it's like, you know, they just take that whole like Mall of America thing to everything there, I guess. Like they just well, have a mall in the middle of their airport, like a food court. They had every restaurant. If you have a Chili's, a beatups, and a Panda Express in your airport, you're a top tier airport in my opinion. That's
1: I you know, believe it or not, I know this is gonna sound crazy because you have to take the tram and all that. But I I, I like Atlanta's airport for that reason. Oh,
0: I, I actually really like Atlanta's airport, especially especially the people watching. Oh, no question. You get everything in the Atlanta airport.
1: Yeah, Minneapolis airport did catch me on a bad day where I took a red eye back after covering a Bengals game and uh, left at like midnight, got to Minneapolis at like 6 in the morning, 5 in the morning, and then had like a 30-minute connection. And and my legs had had cramped up a little bit because, you know, you're you're on the flight, you're not drinking anything, so you get dehydrated from flying. Yeah. So I start to take off running. I start to cramp up, and I'm like, there's a gate. And there's another store and there's a gate and another, where the hell is this gate? And So it left a bad taste in my mouth in that regard.
0: It is just like one long hallway, the entire yes. thing. You're just walking. Yes. Into, I mean, I looked at my phone and I like, I got 4,000 steps just walking between the gates, I think. So
1: I got one right. other one. I'll, I'll give you one other one just because of the view. And it's beautiful. It's Salt Lake City.
0: Nah, I've never been there.
1: Oh, it's beautiful.
0: All right. Well, that's all I got. And I got to get out of here.
1: All right, brother. Thanks very much. Enjoy the trip back, Rick. We will uh, talk over the weekend. Bengals and Browns will have our Bengals post game podcast at some point on Sunday night into Monday morning. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly popery edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Movie.